I am reading a very good book about the civil wars in Britain during the mid-1600s. In case you don't remember, and there's no reason why you should, it was during this period that the monarchy was briefly overthrown. The established church, namely the Church of England, was temporarily disestablished, and religious and political policies were determined by a parliament and then army with Presbyterian leanings. There were a number of things that separated Anglicans from Presbyterians, some doctrinal, some political. One of the most important was their understanding of the church itself. Presbyterians tended to believe in God's eter eternal predestination of people to heaven or to hell, a destiny they believed God determined before the world was created. They tended to believe that Jesus' life and death didn't change anything. It didn't give people new information or new opportunities, but simply confirmed what God had set in motion long before. They believed that Christ died only for the elect. Many Presbyterians also believed that if you were among the elect, nothing you could do or say would change this. In other words, once elect, always elect. So for these folks, the true church consisted of only those who had been destined by God for eternal bliss. The true, the true church consisted only of those who, outside the workings of the church, indeed millennia before the church had even been dreamt of, had been tapped by God to be included among the elect. The visible church might well contain non-elect as well as elect, but the true church, the church upon which God cast his favors, was pure. For traditional Anglicans, Presbyterians had it backward. Anglicans tended to think that God wanted everyone to be saved, that Christ had died for everyone, not just a few. They rejected the very idea of an invisible church. They believed that the one and only church was full of sinners, and that the church's preaching and sacraments had a critically important role to play in creating an opportunity for and providing grace to sustain real change, real transformation in people's lives on earth and in eternity. Now, why do I go on about this today? The letter to the Ephesians is, as I read it, a hymn celebrating the irreplaceable importance of the church in offering a path of transfiguring holiness to seekers. Let me repeat that. The letter to the Ephesians is a hymn celebrating the irreplaceable importance of the church in offering a path of transfiguring holiness to seekers. And in today's excerpt, we get a glimpse of what is at stake. Reading between the lines, I get the sense that the behavior of some members of the congregation is pulling the community away from a healthy path. There seems to be a lot of disharmony caused not by doctrine, but mostly by people's mouths. There is apparently no shortage of destabilizing talk being thrown into the middle of community life, talk which includes lying, angry outbursts, slander, scheming, and gossip. There does seem to be a shortage of speaking the truth in love, which Ephesians also commends us to, and a shortage of forgiveness, both the seeking of forgiveness and the offering of forgiveness and the internal wrangling is seriously interfering with the life and death work of the church, which is salvation. During the Reformation in the late 1500s, 
it became common for theologians to distinguish between what is absolutely necessary for the church's integrity, on the one hand, and what is a nice extra, if you, if you can get it, but not really necessary, on the other hand. They distinguish between the essay, essence of the church, and the bene essence, bene essay, or well-being of the church. The author of Ephesians is telling us that the internal harmony and mutual tolerance are of the essence of the church. In other words, there is no church, really, if healthy communication and love are missing. The Presbyterians of 17th century Britain would disagree, but I think the author of Ephesians is telling us that we can interfere with God's best intentions. We can throw the lives and destinies of both ourselves and others seriously, if not permanently, off track. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, meaning not making the Holy Spirit a little bit sad, but leaving the Spirit, Almighty God, mourning the spiritual death of those he loves. What we were baptized for, what we were given life for, is to imitate God by imitating God's Son. We are to give ourselves up for one another, as Jesus did. And Jesus certainly managed to do this without needing everyone to agree with him first and admit that he was right. And Jesus' self-giving wasn't limited to the cross. John makes it poignantly clear that how much else day-to-day -day was involved in the whole movement of his self-giving. Living consistently with those who misunderstand and misjudge was part of the daily fate of the incarnate Son of God. And so may it be, will be, for us also, if we choose to live in a community of other flawed human beings. Learning to work through these difficulties and to love one another along the way is how God gets to us, how God puts down lasting and resilient roots in us. The essence of the church, meaning the presence of God with us in the church, is found right here in this work of reconciliation, first and foremost. The church's preaching and sacraments exist to point us to this work of reconciliation that we share and to nourish us as we undertake it. I don't believe that God predestined anyone for good or for ill, and certainly not before the world was made. I do believe that God lived and died to open God's kingdom to all, that Jesus lived and died to open God's kingdom to all, although I think that Jesus thought the call was for Jews first and Gentiles later. I do believe that we are all given an opportunity by God every moment of every day that we live to turn our lives around so we embrace God and not that which is opposed to God. And I believe that what the church does matters. What you and I do matters. Through our common life, we provide God with the access God needs to change and save lives. That is what is at stake for all of us. No more and no less. Amen.